All right, all right. Yeah, you guys ready? I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try and do an introduction. We'll see how it goes. All right. All right. Uh, hi. Uh, the first part of the introduction is the hard part. Welcome to the Trash Lynch Podcast. It's me, Brent Halliburton. As uh, always, I'm here with Britt Pibus and Mike Boucher. 100% success rate. We've always been here every podcast. Ah, uh, yeah. Our commitment to making the podcast less rambly. Let's jump right in and talk about all the old school tournaments that have been going on uh, Pokestats and how Mike has done in all of them and why he did what he did. Mike, I haven't seen any of the results from the most recent tournament with the World's 2018 format, but I know you have. You want to tell us all about it? Sure. So we're going to go through some of the different tournaments that have happened, starting with the most recent one. So the last one was Worlds 2018, and I have the top eight decks here. There was three Buzzrocks, two Gardevoirs, one Zoro Control, one Rayquaza, and one Zoro Garb deck. I ended up getting second place with Gardevoir, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But Britt, do you want to give us a little bit of uh, history of the Worlds 2018 format? Yeah, Nashville. So I, uh, I didn't play. This was the I barely didn't qualify for Worlds this year. So this was a format I had prepared for because I had tested. I was I had friends playing in the event, and I was playing in the Nashville Open. But so Gardevoir would have won the Worlds beforehand, and it was had gotten a little resurgence in popularity. For one, it has just had always stayed a metagame presence, just strictly because of Gallade, which was such a powerful answer to Zoroark decks, which uh, were more or less the entire format. And then, but then with in I'm blanking again on the sets. I got Mysterious Treasure, which I know Mikey was a big fan of in Gardevoir, which let you just search for your stage one the Corellia usually was pink, a fairy type, but there were some older ones that were psychic types, so you just had an additional search card for your evolutions and just a little bit of consistency. And then again, you had just the overall power of Gardevoir, a powerful GX attack that sort of was really good in various matchups, as well as just, again, the typing that Gallade had over Zorark. But then, and then Rayquaza was the new card going into this format. This was, I think, the second worlds that since they started making it at the start of a new format historically that was usually not the case usually it was always the last format was nationals and then worlds or something but more recently they've been doing that the world's format is completely unknown or i guess depending on how you factor in the japanese results two things but rayquaza was like the big power card of the set but since it had it's weak to Gardevoir. That was another reason that Gardevoir was an older deck that was creeping back into favor in the metagame again. And I think those are really the main decks. And then Buzzrock was just, again, similar to Gallade, was just so strong all year because of Zorark, because there were so many good Zorark variants, just the fact that you have these fast fighting Pokemon to handle things. And then the deck itself almost saw, I don't remember how it ended up being played at Worlds. If I remember, I think the lists shifted back towards the way they used to look. Because when the deck first started, it was mostly all about uh, Buzzswole GX. And then you just had Rock in the background. But then eventually the baby Buzzswole gets released. And for a little while, the deck list shifts and playing more like a heavy three or four copies of those. And only one copy of the GX, you had really easy draw with Octillery and just what you needed to succeed was just energies and 
like Guzma, Gust of Wind effects, the deck just needed very little and had really good comeback mechanics with Beastering and so on. Yeah, the only two that I think you missed was Malamar was a big deck that came out of uh, whatever set that Mysterious Treasure was in as well. Right, yeah, the set before a little while with Ulter. Yeah, yeah. That's right, I was at. Yeah, so Malamar got second at Worlds that year to Robin Zoro Garb, and Malamar was not very much played in this tournament at all. I was going to say, this was this is somewhat suspect, though. The, this Malamar player was disqualified, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, may, maybe not to cast too much of a doubt on the results, but yeah, and yes, I suppose. The other deck that kind of really emerged somewhat surprisingly at Worlds was the Buzzwell Garbodor Shrine deck. And I think... Friend, remind me, that's what your son played, right? That's right. And did, that's and did right. very well. Buzzrock mm-hmm. Shrine deck was like, I thought that was the big quote-unquote like new deck in the Worlds 2018 yeah. format. So it's interesting to hear you talk about this because it makes it sound like that did not survive the uh, metagame. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised that I none of them made top eight. I don't we don't have all the decks that were played just yet, but yeah, I don't know. That's the deck that I played in Worlds Day 1 that year, and I thought... That's what I was going to say. Wasn't that the X-Files deck that year? Wasn't that your guy, you and Ross's deck? Yeah, and I just wanted to play Gardevoir for this event because that's what I played at Nationals that year, or NASE, whatever, and I really liked Gardevoir, and I streamlined the list a little bit from what I played, and part of my thinking as well was I think... Looking back at the format, Pedro Torres's Rayquaza deck might actually be the best deck, and I thought other people might have also thought that. And Gardevora has a very strong Rayquaza matchup. So, uh, as we talk about all these different formats and, and these tournaments, it's really interesting to think about what players will pick looking back at the format, and not so much what was actually played going into the event, but what is popular coming out of that event. Quasar were very uncertain going into the event, so I don't... People knew it was going to be a strong card, but nobody really knew the best way to play it. And so Pedro doing really well. After the event, people took that and looked back at it and said, okay, that's pretty good. Let Loose, obviously, historically, Let Loose Marshadow showed itself to be a very strong card, and that was like one of the first decks where it really shines. People can retroactively look back and say, he was ahead of the curve, let's play that because we know it's strong now over more time. And so like in Swiss, I played against two Rayquazas and I was able to beat both of those, which was good. Um, I ended up losing to Buzzrock in the finals and I beat Zorogar in top four. So yeah, Guardi seemed good with uh, two of the bigger decks being Zorogar and Rayquaza. Zorgarb's a pretty close matchup, but you're favored in general because it's hard. You don't play so many items that Trashalanche is, you know, often not going to be hitting 230, and you have a Gallade to kill Zorark, and even just getting seven energy between you and Zorark for Gardevoir to one-shot Zorark is also not too hard. I'm trying to remember what the top eight of that world looked like, so I remember, so... Pedro was in top four with Rayquaza, and then I'm just blanking. There was a Zoropod, the, I forget his name, but the, he was called like the God Killer from like Indiana or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. He played Zoropod. I think Shamansky like just missed top eight with Buzzgarb Shrine. The list that won Worlds that year, the famous for being the Zorark list that didn't play Ultra Ball. Is that correct? 
Yeah, that's right. And then, so did it, is that, I guess, a good question for one? Do you, was that the optimal way to play it? Because I think stuff just rotated and it didn't end up being the same deck list. Oh, yeah, because you lost Bridget and stuff, I think. So deck lists got really weird um, after rotation. But yeah, so I guess the question is where the, because you said you played against a Zora Garb. Yeah. In top four, was it more of this world's winning list or the the? Old? I think it was the same sixty that Robin yeah. hit. Maybe it, maybe a card or two off, but it was pretty much the same thing with the four mysterious treasures instead. Mm. So, I do think that makes sense because treasure finds the whole garb line and it finds Lele. So, I think it makes sense. You need to work. See, that's what I don't know. I just. <laughs> it's, I feel like a fool, obviously, trying to say that the the world's list is wrong. And I don't think it is, but just knowing my own, like, personal preferences and stuff, I just feel like I personally really would have had trouble being talked into that because, I don't know. Like, again, it's just one chain of logic is stronger than the other. But in my head, it's just I need Zoroarks to function, so I should still play cards to make sure I can find Zoroark. But you hit the money and you open with the two Zoroarks are great, but some games you do. some games you have to you know search for just the one and that's your bread and butter for the first couple turns. Mm-hmm. Oh, he also played Evo Sodas. Okay, yeah, those are those are, that was what I was in the middle of trying to say. I was like, I'm blanking on the list, so I'm sure it was there's something that I'm forgetting, and Evo Soda would be just that. But I think it's always curious how we have these trends for Ultra Balls in every deck forever, and then it occasionally just gets shaken up and that one time it wins the world. Just instances like that, what we were talking about in the first episode is a lot of formats, most of these old formats are left unexplored like that because we, you know, our deck building trends are so much in, so influenced by just what people say. I don't know if that's just it, the trends are influenced by the trends or something else. It's hard to, it's hard to shake and I, you know, written about this sort of thing too. Similarly, if, you know, a nobody, some no name had posted in August of 2011, posted the truth on Pokegym deck help forum. He would have, he would have been made fun of. He would have, you know, he would have taken every insult in the book and been told to play SP or something with more supporters or whatever. And just maybe that's being like idealistic of me. I just like wish there were more truths out there, like more of these just like perfect concoctions. Um, that just like really took imagination and creativity and all that. Mm-hmm. But some of that's in the design too, I would think. Certainly, again, maybe this is just like a my old opinion, being an older player. But it just seems like that the cards themselves are, aren't designed the same anymore. I agree with that. They're, yeah, I don't know. I just feel either my my Pokemon TCG like boomer opinions is just like <laughs> they're reprints and everything has new HP and. Uh, all that to say is Mike, good. Did, did Sylveon GX have any role in the format at this tournament? That was, I think that was actually a more popular control deck than like Zoro control at the time. Yeah, that's true. I don't think Sylveon was very good. Sylveon was time. big the year before, because that was the year that Gardevoir was the big new card. Going. So Brent's not talking about Sylveon with Gardevoir. He's talking about okay. the control deck that's just like 4-4 Sylveon. And I think that was more popular, actually, the year, like, the season after this, if I remember correctly. But I could be wrong. I want to say you're wrong, because Liam played Sylvian GX I think, I think that year and got 17th. And we were playing it because, I think, uh, we wanted to play Control, and I think Kyle Renfield had played it 
mm-hmm. at like the regionals immediately preceding that and gotten lost in top eight or something. That's who I was trying to think of because he was a definitive Sylveon player. I was trying to remember the year that he would have been playing, and that sounds right to me because that was the last year I was really at multiple regionals and stuff like that. And I, I remember he sitting next in to AIC, him. and his list was like he had quote the secret list. It was like three cards off the list that we played. And and I, I think he had a reasonable uh, tournament. Uh, yeah, I think he ended up bubbled top 16 or something. Yeah. I think probably the thing that made Sylveon harder to play was I don't think it really beat Buzzrock because Buzzrock can pretty easily do 200 and accelerate energies. And then Malamar came out, which was not unwinnable, but pretty hard with the energy recursion. And then... Rayquaza came out and you're weak, yes, but they also kill you really easily too. So I, uh, my guess was that it didn't really get talked about too much because of the aggressiveness of the decks. But it certainly did beat Zoroark decks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it just depends how much Zoroark there is in the format, right? I can't imagine that anyone did, but did anyone happen to play the Evatol deck? That was my group's deck in that uh, format. Yeah, probably not. I, I, I'm, we still it, was, it was fine. Clifton, Clifton made top 32 at, at Worlds with it. We tested it a lot, and he really didn't change it much from the Nationals list. Yeah, I forgot about that deck. That deck was pretty sweet. You're in it was cool. I like... I was not... Man, necessarily. Tarbell made some personal changes to the list that I think would have made the difference in my tournament, and I like, I like, lost a Zoroark twice, and he played some enhanced hammers that I think would have won it for me. And I, if I had won my round nine, I would have qualified for Worlds. But neither here nor there. But I, I think that deck was fine, especially too, just depending on the meta game. You didn't beat Cardivore. Um. You didn't have to be Cardivore. But if the Buzzrock Shrine deck was popular, I would think that was pre- would probably be pretty easy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right, let's, let's talk about. On. Should we talk about the next tournament? Pokestats yes. eight. Mm-hmm. BLW to AOR. So this was expanded regionals in the fall of I believe twenty fifteen. That sound right, Britt? Right so after, Frank and Jimmy did really well. Yeah, this was we, we got AOR was would have been the new set I think, which that's what had Vespaquin and the unknowns and stuff. So I think that was the big reason why mm-hmm. the deck popped up. So I'm trying to remember what else was big from the set. So Worlds had just finished, and Jacob had won Worlds with Blastoise. And I'm trying to remember rotation wise. I think. Yeah, this was okay. Standard was bad. Standard was really bad during this time. Rotation took out most of the supporters, and so there was a really low supporter pool for Standard. Yeah. Um, Regionals in the fall were expanded, which is nice. I'm yeah, sure. It's funny because I saw the results and I saw that there were Tyrantrum Giratina decks. That this was the Pennsylvania tournament where mm-hmm. both Russell Lapar and Krista Porco played that Tyrantrum deck mm-hmm. and did well. And it was right after that. That was the last one, I think, the week before JP had come in second or something second, like that with Tyrantrum. And, BC, and, then, yeah, and Vancouver. And the week before that, JP won a regionals with Blastoise. So that was my recollection when I first saw this format. Was yeah, JP got second. Israel beat him. Okay, okay. I just remember this was like JP's like huge run of doing super well at a couple of regionals. Yeah, because I remember just in that in that just the narrative of the expanded format. This the Israel's win at Arizona Regionals that year was the first time Getsis 
had been played, or at least the first time people had noticed Getsis being good. And that's how he beats JP in the finals, is I think he gets he gets the checkmate Getsis on the first turn or what have you in, in one of the, you know, I don't know if it was game three, but I think at one point, and then all the rest is history, Getsis ruined a lot of people's tournaments for a good amount of time or what have you. Yeah, yeah I'm trying to remember what else was good. I know Manectric... Garbodor, I see that there. Yeah, so Manectric was big. And you played the Toad Bats was big. I remember that was also. Yeah. So Jimmy won, Jimmy O'Brien wins the regionals, and then he like went undefeated in day one Swiss at the next one. Yeah. And I remember Pram is the one who ended his streak, and he was playing Toad Bats. Yeah. But I think J- Jimmy still won or got second at that tournament still. And blanking. Pram won one of their, or he like won or got finals in one yeah, of the regionals yeah. with Toad Bats, and I think Jason actually top forward one of the regionals with Toad Bats as well. Totina was a big deck. Metal Ray was a big deck. Mm-hmm. And just like straight, Frank Diaz was a just straight evil tall, yeah, evil tall, yeah. Not the and because I, I think everyone else was more on them. I forget if Maxi was a big evil tall version yet. I don't think it was. I don't think yeah. so. Yeah, because I'm looking, at, I'm looking at my notes from that from that Pennsylvania tournament, and because mm-hmm. I think straight evil tall deck. Dylan Bryan made top four. I think with Vespaquin that same weekend, the the weekend after when after Jimmy had won the first weekend, I believe, and his list was a little bit different. But I'm not sure how much. I think I, I think actually that was like they both top four. Jimmy went like nine zero day one. But Dylan was also playing Best Good Flarian and went 8-1. But nobody was talking about Dylan because Jimmy was destroying the tournament. Right. I could be wrong. The other interesting thing that I remember from this But I know we played Best Good Flarian and we were basically playing like same 60 as Dylan. Okay, cool. The other interesting deck that I remember, an interesting thing in general, was Frank beating Nick Robinson in top four of the event that he Frank ended up winning. And Nick was playing Sableye Garbodor, and it was the first version of Sableye Garbodor that is most similar to what we've seen over the last couple years. And it's and it's also if if you want to learn how to play against a control deck, that is like the one of the best matches to ever watch. Frank had does all of these really cool things like attacking with Keldeo and retreating at the right times and just plays his cards like the most optimal way possible. And like that, I remember watching that match from home because I didn't go to that event and like being, I learned so much. And so it was really cool. But so Sableye Garbodor was like, obviously Sableye Garb, Dustin had the concept a couple of years before this, but this was like the real first time that it was introduced as the control and lock deck that we now know it to be. We stole it from Jason, too. I, D- Dustin and I, er, I was mostly Dustin, but he ca- came to me with the idea. I think he just he just played against Jason on PTCGO on one day and just, hey, we, I think this is a good idea. That's and we tested it that summer. Funny. Is, uh, like me, I feel like I learned about that deck when Dylan Dreyer posted an article on Six Prizes 30 days before he retired and became a pro Hearthstone player. <laughs> and he was like, I just invented this new archetype. That's funny. And I, it's funny. It's funny to hear you guys say it because I've, I've always been under the impression that he essentially created that archetype. Maybe he did, I, and this was just like one of the first times that it performed like really well at an yeah. event. 
No, I think Mikey is right. I think I, I know I remember this deck a little bit more that now that you've talked about it, my memory has been jogged. And yeah, because it, ha- it has some pretty weird choices in it that ended up becoming staples later down the line. Yeah, I know we Liam top Ford, I think, with Dylan's list in juniors. This was like our first tournament of our yeah i guess this was like the first tournament we'd gone to because they had arizona and houston regionals before that and then it was lancaster and this was like the first year where we had an expectation that liam was gonna not suck at pokemon all the time <laughs> and, and like he goes to the first tournament and he, and he does really well with Flareon, and then he comes back the next day because they did all the junior rounds like on the first day and did mm-hmm. like a league challenge oh no i guess he, he did a league challenge on sunday and he played sable guard and we had been we essentially everyone knew the puzzle of time was coming out in january mm-hmm. and we were like we don't care what people what happens we're gonna play sable garb with puzzle of time when they print puzzle of time because that seems ridiculous yeah yeah i remember the was, thing there could possibly be I, I remember we thought it was one of those areas where they're like oh they're definitely gonna ban it before it comes out there's no way and then ended up being fine and then eventually not yeah i guess sort of one thing that's worth talking about, because there's a pretty important deck that didn't exist at the, when this re- these regionals were taking place, but would have been legal, but doesn't get discovered until later on in the year. So the AOR, uh, Ancient Origins, has Forest of Giant Plants. That was a big card in it. Sounds right. Yeah, and so that enables Vespaquin Vileplume, but, but yeah, which was is a huge factor in, in Expanded for uh, a long time, but Andrew Wambold invents it at the city mar- at the Chicago City Marathon that year, mm-hmm. but I'm just noticing that in the results here. I don't, no one had really caught on to that deck, and it was a big... It was legal and standard, too. It was fine in both formats. Um, yeah, that's yeah, a I, good point. It's funny, because I saw that, too, and I know I felt like going into Worlds that year, Vespaquin Vileplume, in my mind, might have been the best deck, and... I mean, I wonder if you need Puzzle of Time to enable that, and that's that was like the difference. Uh, that, I just like yeah, I was really blanking because I I think where your your draws are always optimal. I think you're right. Like Vespaquin Vileplume like really doesn't lose in the games. You just can't beat Turn One Vileplumes most of the time for a lot of decks. I remember I actually had so I played Waterbox. This was before the format, but I had a pretty good win record against it surprisingly you could just similarly you just had to you didn't play to beat them you just played to run them out of energy which is a problem that probably could be solved with better lists um, you, just, you could just play like Paul Johnston Lysander the Vileplume to take yeah. in the game <laughs> classic <laughs> okay so let's finish up so to finish up this format the old format 8 I played Seismitoad Crobat it's what I wish I played at that Lancaster Regionals that year it's what I ended up playing pretty much the rest of the year in Expanded uh, so I really like Toadbats I think it gives you a lot of options Quick and Punch is very strong and yeah so I got top 4 I ended up losing to Wambolt with Vespaquin Flareon he ended up winning the event in a Vespaquin Flareon Mirror in the finals he's pretty convinced that Vespaquin Flareon was the best deck for that format one thing that I do want to note is I pl- later that year during Cities, I played a Seismitoad Crobat with one Landorus EX and Fighting Energies over Water Energies, specifically for the Vespaquin matchup. And I think that 
tilt. It, it, the matchup's already pretty close. Um, probably slightly unfavored for Toad Bats, but with Landorus, it like swings it the other way. Maybe like 55, 45, or 60, 40 in your favor. I didn't play it for this event. I didn't really know what to expect from people at this event. I didn't expect Vespaquin to be the most played deck. I figured Evil Tall would be, uh, with, and they were tied for. I also like only played Toad Bats and expanded that year, and it was super close. There was just there was so many factors like like every like if you could get a laser flip and just immediately win like a, a heads tails, you could if they didn't have Audino, like you just would just win. And then I remember my, your scoop up flips being pretty important, and I'm trying to remember why that would be. If just at, at some point they're not one shotting you, they're only two shotting you, and that just makes enough of a difference. But, I remember winning a city championships, and I just won on a huge scoop-up flip. That's I'm funny that you say that, because I, when I played Wamble in top four, our game three came down to a single scoop-up flip. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's surprisingly <laughs> close. Even games where they take two prizes on their second turn on your Toad DC with a Vespaquin, or sometimes you can just walk down, get Zerosic and Energy and Quaking Punch, and they don't have anything, or end Quaking Punch, and it's just enough. Mm-hmm. The one card that, or Wimble played two copies of Tropical Beach in his list, which I think is very good in the matchup because it allows them to more consistently draw out of ends as the game goes on. It's something interesting as expanded progressed that year, what how the lists really got defined because Vespican Flareon was tier one and expanded all that year and sometime after, I think. And it was really by the spring regionals that we saw lots of people playing the beaches because Wamble was always one of the main archetype, one architects of the archetype. Mm-hmm. And I remember he played beach and Eric Gansman had a good run at those regionals with the same thing with beaches and his flurry on this. I remember Wamble in the later weeks Trevenant started becoming a bigger threat, and he, would, he kept trying some weirder cards, and they, they weren't enough to help the matchup. But I remember at one point he was playing, there was like a Rotom that did something, and an Umbreon that also did something, but they weren't good enough to make that matchup winnable. All right, we, let's, talk about, let's talk about Pokestat 7. This is the BKT to CRI. Mike with another top 16 finish. Yeah, this was one of the tournaments that I didn't do as well in, but this is the format that started with Tord winning the European IC with Zoropod when Zorok first came out, and then this format ended with Tord winning Australia with Zorok Gardevoir. Britt, do you remember this format? Yeah, pretty well, which was interesting because this was the format... Because Zorok doesn't come out in a full set. It comes out and it's in a little special set and then it has its own promo. So I'm trying to remember, this was the first, I think this was the first series of events where both the new, because Buzzrock, Buzzwall, Lycanroc, both cards, or rather just Buzzwall and B-Strings and stuff are from the set. And then... Well, Buzz, uh, so Buzzwall GX is out, Baby mm-hmm. Buzzwall is not out yet, right. and B-String is also not out yet. You just have Octillery and Lycanroc and Elixirs. Yeah. But yeah, but I think what's interesting is so... Zoropod is really the first archetype that sort of takes off because of this, but like people were playing Zorark Lycanroc first. I don't know it was the more popular version, at least in America, and, until Tord wins, and then we start to see other decks breaking out. They're interesting results, though, because I don't remember Greninja being so prevalent. This was a format with Giratina promo being legal, right? So these mm-hmm. presumably just caught the format at a good time. Yeah, I think so. 
Um, to be- I was sad to see, uh, like, for us, we never had good luck with Zoroark Gardevoir. It was, it always seemed crazily inconsistent, even with the Zoroark Draw Engine. Mm-hmm. It was bad. I remember, I, like, thought it would be really good. I don't rem- I think it was around Nationals when Mikey was on the regular version. I think for some reason I, like, theoried to a point where I thought Zoroark Gardi would be really good. And then I tested it and it was just terrible. <laughs> it was so bad. But yeah, I find that interesting too. And similarly too, I just never, I was never very impressed with Zoro Pod as a deck. I always, I really liked Zoro Rock much more and thought you were, and the matchups were all pretty even anyways. Almost just who went first in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I played Zoro Rock. So another interesting thing in these tournaments, and specifically this one, is the way that we have to play these old formats on PTCGO, since the rules have changed, is you have to, both players pass their first turn, and so that the first player can play a supporter, which actually nerfs Galissapod significantly, because the Wimpod has free retreat on the first turn of the game. So that's a little unfortunate, and, it, and probably also contributed to... I don't see any Zoro. Very few Zoro pets here because of that. <laughs> I never. I didn't like this format very much. I was still playing then. I think I just played Zorark mostly. I just never liked the the Buzzful formats. Yeah. So, so here's the closest thing I have to a funny story about this format. So we're at EUIC, and the the juniors and seniors don't play until the second day, right? Like, they essentially get to watch all the Masters play day one, and then their day one is, is day two for all the Masters. That way they have the room because they've emptied out all the Masters. Yeah. So we're scrambling around trying to figure out what decks are doing well, what should we play. And I want to say, I, I think Igor and Jimmy Pendarvis were playing a deck. Decidueye Zorak, yeah. And no surprise, they were doing pretty well because they're very good at Pokemon. And... Uh, Igor was like, you should definitely play this Decidueye deck. This Decidueye deck is crazy. And and Liam hears that and he's like, okay, if well, Igor thinks it's good, we should probably play this deck. And then we watched, I want to say, like, Tord played Jimmy in, like, round seven or eight, or he played Igor, and completely destroyed them on stream. And I was like, wow, that Zoroark Elisipod deck seems really good. And... Jimmy was like, no, that deck's trash. <laughs> it's bad. They all I remember they all fizzled it. Mace was playing it too, and he was real high on it when he was 4-0, but by the end of the day, he was just like, no, it was bad. And so it's important to realize that at EUIC that year, that's like the, the precursor to all Zorark decks going forward because nobody was playing three or four Bridget in their deck, and just the way that Tord had constructed his deck was basically the template for Zorark decks moving forward. So I assume that the Decidueye Zorark list that they were playing was very different. It was a lot of spread. Like, I mean, it was like a 3-3 Zorark with Nine Tails and Tapu Koko. A real like spread devolution kind of focus with Zorark just being your draw support, and then he's a pretty good attacker still sometimes, too. People tried to refine the list after the fact. I remember it just again was just not good enough. It was just not as good as your simple, just your Lele's and your Bridget's, and then just mash mash the tech of choice with the metagame you need to beat. 
I guess one other, or maybe two other things worth mentioning is broken Gardevoir, quote-unquote, was, besides Zorak Gardevoir, was a Gardevoir way to play it before, where you'd run three or four max potion. Uh, I think Alex Shemansky got top four, or... It was yeah, Chris, I think. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, Chris. In London. In London. And then... The other thing that's interesting is that metal started out in this format as like a viable deck choice, and then very quickly went downhill once everyone. Yeah, that was like Zach Crackler's deck. He played this like Sil Valley GX metal toolbox. Presumably, it was mostly a Gardevoir counter deck because Broken Gardevoir was the hyped deck going in. Yeah, for sure. And I think that was a lot of reason, probably, why people were undervaluing Zork. They probably and again the. Valid criticism, but I think just like, no, Broken Gardevoir is too good, and Glade's going to check Zorark, so there's no way Zorark is going to be the deck-to-beat scenario. Um, I'm trying to remember, though. Yeah, because the metal, the metal deck, because he makes top eight at the tournament, but I just always, I don't feel like it ever did anything ever again. I remember it being pretty, even as a Gardevoir player, yeah. it was like it was like barely 45-55 or something. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Pokestats uh, 6. This was BCR to uh, ROS. All right. Do you, do we want this to be the last old one that we talk about, and then we can talk a little bit about current stuff since we're... Yeah, that, that seems like a great idea, because I feel like when we talk about the Plasma set, the Pokestats 5, let's go back and talk about that next week, because I think we yeah. want to talk about that a lot, because that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's and, too good. Cool. So this one was... And we've actually talked a little bit about it by talking about one of the other um, formats, but this was Worlds 2015, where... Jacob Van Magner won with Archie's Blastoise, and Mace got second with Sajmatoad Crobat. So, Britt, tell us, because you played a lot this year, what were you thinking going uh, into this? And, uh, and Britt was super close to Mace at the time. Like, you, the, the, you were, like, super involved in this, right? Yeah, that was back when I had, I was, yeah, I, t- I was a top 16 player this year and the year before. I could, but the year before wasn't the day one, day two stuff. I just... You got free trips and stuff with it, though, and that was nice. But yeah, we tested a ton for this Worlds, and day one, we were on Groudon. Um, I don't remember why we'd switch from Groudon, but we tested Groudon a lot, like with, with like Yamato, because Yamato played Groudon that year, and he, he came in our room, and we were playing with him and picking his list apart, too, and... We sent Curtis, was one of Curtis Lyon, a good player from Canada, was like our player from day one, and he played Groudon that day, and... I played Metal for whatever reason. Dustin Zimmerman made it out of day one with Metal, and I I just really don't remember why. I thought it was fine. I, you think most of you, are, you have pretty even matchups across the board. I just don't remember what we were favored against. I made top 32. Yeah. <laughs> so, so again, like I think you just had a lot of even matchups, and we just had good techs. That's there was a, about metal. I was like, what does metal beat? It doesn't really beat anything. It doesn't really lose to anything. But <laughs> beat a Poudon, which was... Which was I was a secret deck that did well day one. I crushed one, like round one. It was wonderful. Um, we played like we played Metal Toolbox at Nationals that year. And yeah, and never really regretted we didn't play Mega Rayquaza. Yeah, the Rayquaza deck was far more popular. But yeah, so the, I guess the main sort of dynamic of this world is really Blastoise versus Toadbats, I think. And so it ended up. Jacob wins pretty easily worlds, but as the form as both decks remained prevalent and expanded, Toadbats started to play Silent Lab pretty consistently, which has more general usage than just that matchup. But it does it did 
make a difference, at least in my experience in the matchup sometimes. Mostly you mostly just stop Keldia rushing and you can get you can trap it a little bit easier with lasers and things like that. But yeah, I always thought I really even without the silent labs, I really thought the matchup was fairly close, like Jacob, Jacob just drew a magician the the entire tournament. There's nothing you can do in those games, regardless of what deck you're playing, for the most part. Yeah. But I was never super impressed with Blastoise, and I always preferred Toadbats as a player, and would probably say it was the best deck in this format, I thought. I think everybody thought if, if, if he had not drawn the like computer search off the Shaman for two in like game two the item lock was going to go up and he, Jacob was just going to lose game two and we're going on to game three. Yeah, yeah and like Mies Prize was like a Mewtwo or something that maybe yeah. would have mattered in the second game. I don't remember. But yeah, like I'm trying to remember. Like Blastoise is, at least for me, just it's not as nuanced. Like Night March is similar and they're both just you play your first turn, your first really long turn and largely whether you win or, win or lose is established from that point, but there's a lot, even th- that being the case for both decks, Night March is a lot harder. Still has a lot more finer points and things that have to go on. Blastoise to, is similar, it's just research management, but it's just that you don't have as many important cards and your cards aren't quite as vulnerable. But similarly, you just lose if you don't get the supporter by the, if you don't get your Archies probably by the third turn or so, like your games are usually done. Um, I always felt like it was a lot easier to play because your objective turn one was crystal clear. Yeah. Like Night March, you were doing a lot of different things and you were trying to set up like the next three turns. Archie's was like, you just have to do this one thing and it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, Night March, Night March for me, there's always just world, worlds of difference playing against a good Night March player and a bad Night March player. Because again, a bad, against bad, Mar- bad Night March player, that almost seems, at least in my experience against the deck, it just always felt my plans were working like just nothing ever went wrong easy strategies that you're supposed to do make sure to sky return on a joltix so they can't kill your shame little things like that just always smoothly but then when i'm playing against a good player i just don't even understand how i'm losing sometimes like i'm doing all these things still and i just never had a chance the entire game i don't know it's these decks that seem like they're autopilot but are just have so many sequencing and resource resource management decisions each and every turn that it just if you're not paying close enough attention and obviously i don't i don't see what quite what they're doing yeah. um, i feel like when we say that's the format i feel like it, it neglects me mike obviously you did great with uh, primal Groudon. i'm so, a huge primal Groudon fan i have a lot to say about this tournament in particular because first of all this was my first year back playing and it was also the first year that they had the day one day two structure so that's interesting to think about i and and even though we said that it was Archies versus Toadbats in the finals, that's not really, in my opinion, what coming into this world, what everyone was thinking about. They were thinking about things like Mega Rayquaza, they were thinking about Metal, they were thinking about Toad Garb, which Jason had just won Nationals with, they were thinking about Wailord, which just came out of nowhere and got second at Nationals. So the metagame was actually fairly up in the air. Mega Manetric was a pretty big deck coming out of Nationals. We played Mega Manetric, Tool Drop, Trubbish. So we're- yeah, you you're definitely right. I think what I was really trying to that convey was a terrible is, medical, incidentally. I just felt like those two are the best decks, or at least the ones. They're they're the finals decks, and then 
just clearly better. And a lot, at least Toad Bats mm-hmm. particularly, because I think Night March has a pretty good showing at this Worlds too. Like a lot of right. well-named players made. Yeah. Like Dylan Dryer. And- I was about to say Night March because it was, uh, I feel like it was like Nicolina and Igor and Dylan Dreyer all mm-hmm. like day two'd with yep. uh, Night March and mm-hmm. then had like top 32, top 64 runs with it. Igor played Toad Bats that year, but I think it was Jimmy, Nicolina, and Dylan. Yeah, all yeah. Yeah. So so three or four like local years. players to me that were, were all playing Night March and all wrecked day one. And I was like, oh my right. God. Yeah. yeah. It was so, like a thing that was not even really on people's radar. Yeah, that's true. I remember I played Mega Manetric at Nationals and I played, I played Night March early in the year when it wasn't, you know, that good. It was still, uh, Trump Card was still in the format. So Night March was pretty mad. But then I played against it at Nationals and was really impressed by it. So that's what I ended up playing for day one of Worlds that year was Night March as well. And I made it through day one. And Night March, super, really high conversion rate just in general from people going from day one to day two. So I thought that people would, it'd really be on people's radar and it would get countered. And so I switched decks to like the Circle Circuit Raichu Golbat deck, which was really bad. And I regret that a lot. I should have just played Night March again. This was also an interesting world because often the X-Files crew plays the same deck, or at least maybe we have two decks that we split between. But we were all over the place that year. Tyler played a Kyogre EX deck. I played Night March. Sam played Blastoise. Ross played Groudon. Pablo also played Groudon. Simon got top eight with his weird Donphan Halucha deck. And so we were all over the place as well. So coming back to this Pokestats tournament, I think it's a it's it's one of the more unique formats to replay again because the outcome was so different than what the input the expected input was and so I had I made a very different deck choice than I would have for Worlds and I played Groudon because I think Groudon has the best Blastoise and Toad Bats matchups. Um, if you want a deck that is good against both those decks, Groudon was really the only one that fit the bill. And so that's why I went with that, and it ended up working really well. I beat a bunch of toads. I think I played four toads in Swiss, and I beat all of them. I ended up losing to Bert in the finals, and he was playing toad bats with Manetric EX. It just drew awkward, and Quake and Punch really hurt me. You can lose the matchup. And Manetric is actually surprisingly pretty good. Headringer can go on Groudon, even like through its uh, primal thing. He puts a head ringer on it. Yeah, like I knew that. Yeah, I forgot about it. <laughs> and so, if you don't get a tool down on turn one on the Groudon, they start quaking punching. Like you're you just get mutated by the point. by the time you're fully powered. You've just taken every crowbat, every golbat yeah. damage, and just get expelled for 160 or something. Yeah, or the metric does. Uh, I forget like 140 for two if they have a tool on it. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if it did. If it was 170 or 180 after laser banks, I, I know I would knock out EXs, but I'm trying. I'm blanking. If it, I think it, I think you're right, and it was 170, it wouldn't knock out a toad or something. Yeah. So yeah, that was tough, a little tough, but yeah, I think I'm actually surprised. I played Wambolt with the Raichu Crobat deck. I really don't think that deck was very good this morning. I don't either. I yeah. Playing it at that world's. I don't remember why it picked up popularity because I, I know Sky, skyfield coming out was a big part of it but i feel like someone did well somewhere with because all the because always every other nats happens before right. the u.s and i know i think it maybe it did okay at 
Oh, I think they all. It was big at Can, in Can, Canadian Nationals that year. Okay. I think there was a couple different versions of it in top eight. Because I remember Curtis was playing one of them that year, and there was a bunch of weird ones. I just remember because I did Chase Maloney won Canadian Nationals that year with medal with the Bronzong toolbox. Yeah, and um, I remember Dylan Brian played like a Raichu oh, yeah. counters deck mm-hmm. and did terrible at Worlds. Yeah. That was Jimin's deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a. It was like two Mega Rayquaza with a one-one Bronzong and just like other bizarre attacks. Jimin, I'd say the the big thing I took away from all that was I spent honestly like the next year trying to find situations where I could say to someone, "You should just put a one-one Mega Ray in that," and then at the end of your first <laughs> turn, evolve to Mega Ray. <laughs> Yeah, Jitman's a one-of-a-kind deck builder, to be sure. Yeah. He made, I think it was just last year, he had a, he made day two at a regionals with, like, Steelix, Nito, I couldn't tell you what any of them did. I think it played the Meganium that lets you rare candy more, or whatever, the, the whatever Meganium's good for, if you have to play four stage twos, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's talk about, let's talk about real tournaments in real formats that are coming up. Let's do it. Let's talk about Atlas uh, Pog Championship. So I have a couple of questions for you guys, or you guys can can just talk about where you guys are with your testing. All right, right, here's the question. So Kevin Clemente wrote on 60 cards that he didn't think there'd be a lot of uh, Ethernatus at this tournament because it's too hard to get the cards. True or false? I I think I agree. I think I'd maybe be able to speak to this more than some players because I... I recently just updated my own personal account. I've just had a couple shared accounts among friends, but to be to what so I figured to be able to participate in real stuff, I need to get you know my Pop ID account updated again. And so, Dragapults were really expensive, and I'm t- I was doing this like really just a month or two ago, and not even close to when the set Rebel Clash was released, and they were just. No way they're worth that, that many tickets. So yeah, I was just like, I'm just not going to mess with Dragon Are people just time. like buying codes now? Is that uh, what's oh, weird yeah. is we used to win boxes at tournaments because we played at junior and seniors, and, like we could win boxes, and then we would get the codes, and like that would tide us over. You just have to yep. buy codes now. Yep, that's what I've been doing. <laughs> I mean, no one's buying product either, so there are presumably far less codes in circulation. Like, you don't have players upon players every like i don't know i just usually always sold my codes or would give them to people with these accounts and so there's i'm not opening my prize to my top eight packs from this weekend's league cup and there's three codes or whatever they just the only people with codes are people selling them seemingly like there's no other reason to have them so there's no reason what's the product. price for a code these days it's high to be honest like it's close to a dollar yeah if for the newest set it's anywhere between 85 cents and a dollar Man, it used to be fifty to sixty cents. Yeah. The the inflation, is, but yeah, I think that speaks to people just aren't cracking packs like they used to be. So yeah. all of a sudden, there's supply demand. Yeah. All right, my next question is: I, I feel like a lot of lists I've seen uh, when people talk about Vikavolt, they talk about it as a tech for Picaram or a standalone deck. What will be more popular? I think Vikavolt as its own, has a ton of promise. I don't know if we'll have the list. I don't know if the list will be solved, but I would be pretty shocked if... It also, too, seems like it's perfect now. Like, it's not going to be any better than it is now. Like, once rotation happens, there's no way it's going to be 
as good as it is because there's just so many cards it seems if it had to be good it would be in this format and i think that's at least why i'm most interested in testing it because you just have you have your stadium you have tech you have the prism star you have your plus powers you have all your good little annoying cards too it just seems promising to me yep i agree i think it'll either be its own deck or not maybe it won't be but i don't even think it's good enough to be it one out and peek around yeah, I was gonna. That's, that's what I was trying to think of too. I was wondering if I would, maybe in like the green, like the heavy bolt-hunt greens version. Yeah, actually, it might be a good spirit tomb counter in Picaram. Like you could play one of to be good against spirit tomb, but that would be the only reason I think you would play it mm-hmm. if you wanted to. And why exactly does it? Just because, like, it, it's basically one-shotting every spirit tomb, and you, they can't play. The They're just low enough anyways, anyways and. Relying on items. That makes sense. All right. All right. So both Kevin Clemente on 60 cards and Pablo on six prizes talked about Marie Pamil as being a, a deck for this format and that, it being like the control deck. Is that? Are you guys going to see a lot of that this weekend? Seems bad to me. Every deck runs four switch. Yeah, I would say more cargo. I would think is the better mill option right now. I, know, I think it but, is like Macargo Mareep. Yeah, they yeah, play, yeah. They play a, a, a thick Macargo line with the Mareep, and then they, okay, yeah, and then they just try to sleep you every turn. I agree that it's the mill deck, I, but I think I would also agree that I'm not sold. Like I don't, I'm not worried about it. I'm usually worried about the top control deck. Like Usually I just take that loss and move on. Yeah, and I think ADPZ is, shoots back up to maybe the best deck, or like top two best decks, because of... Uh, just the uh, introduction of Crobat makes it way more consistent. It's able to get the one-turn GX off with Energy Switch. So even like against Energy Removal, it's going to get the GX attack off pretty consistently, pretty early. Turn one, turn two, um, and that's really good against Control decks because you just take three knockouts and you win. Yeah, and that too. I would think ADPC will be more popular than Combo, but similarly, I, I would I've thought the Combo deck has been a big reason mm. why. Uh, Mill control decks have struggled because it, it just outspeed and Zacian on its own can do can do it even without the the combo to give you extra prizes. Like Zacian, sometimes you just get it on your first turn and don't miss a beat and doesn't matter even if you hit all your crushing hammers and stuff. So what's the play, guys? I feel like just. Because Eternatus, because it's going to be too expensive, it's not a consideration. Probably be more inclined to play something older. I imagine Spirit Tomb. I don't know it as well as Mikey, but if he's confident, I don't know why I wouldn't need to be confident about it too. <laughs> yeah, my so my only two hesitations with Spirit Tomb are if ADPZ is bigger. That could be annoying because if they're more cons- if they get a turn one GX attack off, going second, you can never be screwed to the match. I know I'm going to be impossible. I'm going to be testing with Colin this week, and I know he wants to play Omastar decks still, and I really like them too. Like I, he's the only person I really personally tested with. I talked, I've talked to Mikey, and that's about it. Um, so it's just, then this is always how Colin and sometimes the two of our decks go. Is it just like, no one plays decks, uh, these decks other than Colin, and I'm like the only one who tests against them, and and then no one will believe me that they're any good and stuff like that too. And but yeah, I, I think they're good. He he's more interested in the Stojourner. I'm not sure how to say it than Intellion, which was the first draft. 
just because electric is going to be fine still, I would, because of Fickable mostly too. It's just another electric threat you have to worry about too. Um, what's it? What's Eternatus weak to? Fighting. It is weak to fighting? Uh-huh. Okay, so that is good too. So yeah, Stone Droner is like a pretty decent card. I tested a little bit of straight Stone Droner like during the spring. I don't know. I, that, I know. Like I it. I know, and I I thought this too. I want to try Phalanx again. It seems close. Like it, it seems close to being pretty good. I think, but perhaps not. So how about you, Mike? Is it Spirit Tomb or Die? I'm going to be testing Spirit Tomb a lot. I'm going to be testing Straight Vikavolt a lot. I've seen some. In- There's like a couple different approaches I think you could take with Vikavolt. I saw a Japanese list that runs Jirachis. I wasn't thinking of running Drachis initially, but I guess I'll try that. The list that I'm most interested in trying is just like heavy damage. So you're running like Zigzagoons, you're running Scoop Up Nets, you're running Super Scoop Ups to get like Vika Vault back when it's damaged. You're running the Electro Charger, is that what it's called? That gets Electro Powers back into your deck. It's just like your Shadow Triad for lasers or something? Yeah, exactly. So I'm just like thinking damage. Let's Quaking Punch and hit them for a lot of damage. And uh, run a Malolana, run Scoop Up, so that you're a little tanky. That might not be the best way to play it. I've also seen some lists with Moongus, I believe is the same one. Poison sleeps them when you evolve. And you can run the Slumbering Forest in that as well. That's worth trying too. So those are like the three different versions. The Drachi version just doesn't run as many techs because it takes up space. Drachi consistency takes up space. But yeah, so I'm most interested in trying Vika Bolt, trying Spirit Tomb. I haven't really looked at the set all that much, to be honest. I don't know if there's any other archetypes that come out of it, except obviously Eternatus. The one thing to note, though, is that if Eternatus is not that popular, it might actually be a better play than it would have been otherwise. So just right. I, I'm sure you guys have always had the philosophy, like, I think part of the trick at a regional is quote unquote you don't you guys probably don't feel like you need to metagame the middle tables or the bottom tables. The the top guys are probably gonna have it. Yeah. If if it if it really is the best deck and you're not ready to play against it, like when you play someone good, you'll be like, I have it, right? The last few articles I wrote about this, but I just I, I felt like towards the the end of my game I was always Doing just just that, I could figure out the middle tables, but the the good players just had me beat every tournament. Like it, it just, I would I would hear what they had decided to play, and I would just be like, yeah, I just I, they beat me this time. And but I would I would do fine because I would have a good read on what the average player is doing still. But I would just just another DDG win this weekend, another that sort of thing too. And that's just something that's interesting to think about. It's hard to really hard to know sometimes. All right, so. With respect to Spirit Tomb, I wanted to ask you guys, so Danny Altavia posted a list on uh, Twitter the other day that was his take on Spirit Tomb, and I wanted to see if you guys had taken a look at that and had any sort of reaction. I felt like his hot take was that the Cobalion GX is 100% necessary right now. So I talked to him a little bit about it before he posted that. It's pretty much my list minus Entei plus Mimikyu, and he dropped one card for Cobalion. So it was... I like it in the sense that it's basically my list. It's running acrobikes. It's not running. I think, I think was... running Trine and Zigzagoon and Evil Tall GX is bad. And so the fact that it doesn't have those cards automatically makes me think it's good. But the Cobalion GX is 
very interesting. I haven't tested it out at all, but I am interested in trying it. What oh, yeah, do you I don't actually have... do? <laughs> I forget what it does. It I should know because it's people GX played attack. it in muting. So it's GX attack is for a colorless, and your opponent can attack next turn. So the idea is that you are trying to just stop random turns at, in certain matchups. In particular, against Dragapult, you can Iron Rule GX and take two turns of building up your Spirit Tomb so that you're not locked into needing to find like the combo of Jinx, Spirit Tomb, Hustle Belt all in one turn. But instead, you can just set up three Spirit Tombs with damage on them. They can't attack for a turn. And then you immediately take six prizes in two turns. Is a sense, that was like the way that he first introduced it to me, but I do think it has utility in other ways as well, such as against Baby, Blacephalon. Sometimes you get in, since it's really just a prize race of single prizers, often one of you or both of you have to play down two prizers. Sometimes you'll find yourself like uh, one turn behind and you can go Cobalion GX and then next turn find the boss's order to bring up their Zacian V or whatever to kill it and jump ahead in the prize tree. I don't know. That's a, that's a little bit of it. I haven't given it a try because I haven't wanted to play Pokemon without Darkness Ablaze out yet, but I'll give it a try. <laughs> all right. All right. Awesome. Uh, guys, we've been going for uh, an hour and 15 minutes. Any parting thoughts before we uh, declare victory for another week? This was fun. All right. <laughs> Reporting live from uh, Trash Lanch Studios, uh, another podcast in the books, guys.